You're listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Terry Riley titled, Christmas Through the Eyes of an Average Joe, which is from our sermon series, Christmas at Creekside. For more info, please visit creekside.org. If you would take your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, got a question for you. Going to give you about two minutes. No sermons, just kind of share very quickly uh, the answer that you might have for this question. Who, over pageants and stories and everything, who has the, who gets the least amount of press of all of the Christmas uh, uh, people and things like you know you've got the inn you've got the manger you've got the innkeeper you've got Mary Joseph and Jesus you've got all the animals you know they're all there on your uh, ornamentation in your home and on your Christmas cards uh, there's King Herod there's uh, the wise men there's the shepherds and on down the line who gets the least amount of press Jesus. go ahead and t- share at your table Come up with who do you think gets the least amount of press and all these pageants and things that go on. Okay, one minute. Okay. Some of you just really don't like this time that I do this, do you? I look around some and you're like, get the show going. Okay, what, what was some of the, that you come up with? Joseph. Joseph. How many said Joseph? Joseph. Yeah. And did you look at my notes first? Yeah. Okay. Uh, anybody else? Say anybody else. What? Good. Okay, good, good, good. Yeah, good, good. Don't lie either. And um, <laughs> just kidding, Doris. I know you wouldn't. Anybody else have any, anybody else? Huh? The innkeeper, yeah. The midwife. the midwife. Oh, wow, we're really going deep. <laughs> Which makes my point, who is probably Joseph. So <laughs> the true story, when I was probably uh, nine or ten, uh, I, I, I was taking piano lessons at this community center, and somehow I got roped in to their community center kids' Christmas pageant. And so they 
chose me or I chose to be Joseph. And as we were starting to go a couple of days into rehearsals, I asked the leader, when do I get to speak? And they said, you don't, you're Joseph. <laughs> and uh, now, we did have a tree that got a lot of attention, and we had the animals who had these like paper mache things put on their heads, and everybody laughed, and they even got to say something. Not Joseph. See, I think that a lot of times he kind of gets put on the back burner in so many ways. And uh, this year we decided that we're going to take these two weeks, and I want to talk about Joseph. I want to kind of see Christmas through his lens. And then uh, next week, Aaron's going to come and she's going to speak about Christmas through the lens of Mary. Now, I believe Joseph is understated. There's really not a whole lot of verses on him and scripture about him, but he's chosen. He, he is chosen with Mary and he's chosen as the foster parent of the second person of the Trinity, Jesus. Now think about it, with all the guys, all the men wandering around the world and specifically in the Middle East at the coming of the Christmas child, why did, why did Joseph get tapped on the shoulder? I mean, was it just the luck of the draw, natural selection? Uh, maybe there was a lottery system in heaven where Joseph's name was put on a ping pong ball along with others and the ping pong ball just got popped out of the popper and God gets it and he goes, Joseph, he's the one. Or maybe there was a roulette wheel and he just landed on his name by chance. Or was he chosen for that job, this big job that needed to be done? I have a tendency to believe he was chosen. I think the scripture is pretty clear on that. Yet this average Joe, salt of the earth, Joseph, he worked at an honorable profession as a carpenter. He plays an understated but major part in the Christmas narrative. We just don't hear a lot about it. So I'm going to talk about him today. I want to talk about his character. I want to talk just a little bit about some of the things that we see, but as we blow through reading the Christmas story, it's really easy to miss. We want to get to the heavyweights, you know, we want to get to the wise men, to, to Mary and to Jesus and the shepherds, the innkeeper maybe. And we forget about Joseph. If you would, Matthew chapter one, I want to start in verse 16. It's the genealogy where the, the Jewish people were very concerned about genealogy, where you come from, who your father was. So Matthew goes to great lengths to be able to record the genealogy at the very beginning to show where Jesus came from, who would be the rightful king of the Jews. And so verse 16, it says, and Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Now, did you pick that up? He doesn't say uh, Jacob fathered Joseph, the father of Jesus. He's referred to as the husband of Mary who gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. So now all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David until the exile to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the exile to Babylon until the Messiah, came, there was 14 more generations. 
Now, the birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. So catch this. We'll come back to this in a minute, a few minutes toward the end. But so her husband Joseph, being a righteous man, some of yours translations will say being a good man, being a man of character, being a just man. And not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after Joseph had thought about, he'd considered these things, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Because what has been conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you're to call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, all of this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet of the Old Testament. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. When Joseph got up from sleeping, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not know her intimately until she gave birth to a son. And he named him Jesus. You don't see all of the references in this passage, but there's a narrative that goes on for probably two to three years in Joseph's life that really can sometimes be a pattern for us at different seasons in our life. We see it in Matthew 1 through 2 and then in Luke chapter 2. You'll see this cycle. And I, I just noted them on your notes in case you wanted to study them later. But this is Joseph's family. This is his life. This is his narrative in the midst of the Christmas story for two to three years where he gets a dream. His first dream, what is it? It's he gets his dream girl. You remember that, guys? She's your dream girl, and you're going to marry her. And you're so excited. Well, I'm sure Joseph was the same. He's got this beautiful young girl, probably anywhere from 15 to 17, Pure as the driven snow. But then there's a nightmare that quickly follows. And this is kind of the narrative. This is the cycle of Joseph's life. It goes from dream to nightmare, dream to nightmare, dream to nightmare. There's six instances where that takes place. But what we need to see and be reminded of is that through it all, God is this incredible, wonderful, gracious dream weaver of Joseph's life. Through his sovereign grace, we're going to see his life and his purposes, all of those come together. But so often, don't you wonder, don't we wonder, what's God up to? What's he doing? How come this is taking place? What's going on? What purposes is he really accomplishing in my life at this time through these purposes? And some of you today, you might be in a dream place. You might be living the dream. It's always possible, and I'm not one of these people that says, oh, life is going too good, wait till something else happens. But I do understand life. And we're never guaranteed anything. It can be one phone call, one day, one doctor's appointment, one surprise that everything goes from living the dream to having to live out a nightmare. 
And how that takes place and how you begin to understand that against the backdrop of what God is doing in your life will make all the difference. And that's what I love about Joseph because he embraces. See, we love the warm fuzzies of the holiday season. I do. I think this is, this is just my favorite time of year. But I don't think it was full of warm and fuzzies for Joseph. He needed to see something bigger. He needed to know that there was a bigger story being scripted. He didn't see it initially, but it begins to unfold over time as he walks with God. And it unfolds in God's timing and in, in God who's writing Joseph's life. He's producing his life. He's like this great heavenly director. And sometimes it seems like it could be so unfair, but here's the real truth. God is so sovereign. And sometimes we have to live with that. We have to work that through and understand that God is at work in the dreams, but he's also at work in the nightmares. And maybe you're here today and you say, well, it's not working out for me. Are you sure? Are you sure? Because are you done living yet? Is God done with you yet? Because here's the truth. Whatever facts you are going through, here's the truth. Philippians 1.6 says, For I'm confident of this very thing, that he that has begun a good work in you will perform it. He will bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. What's the day of Christ Jesus? It's one of two things. It's either when you go to stand before him or he comes to get you. And when you can begin to see your life, whether it's your dreams or your nightmares, under the canopy of that truth, it will determine how you get through them. And I want to look at some of the lessons from Joseph's life that really seemed to help him stick by the stuff when the stuff was flying all around him. Now, this is, I believe everything I'm going to say today really has application for everybody. The scriptures are so powerful that way, but I'm kind of going to lean into the guys a little bit, but it has application for men, women, and students. But because it's Joseph, I kind of want to look through his lens, probably just a little closer. And as I said, Aaron will, will kind of look at Mary's life next week. And we both said that when we do talk, we want to come from that perspective, yet make sure that it's applicable to everybody. And I believe that that's what we're doing. But you'll notice the first thing about Joseph, he's a committed husband. I mean, he's just a really committed husband. Through all the good, the bad, the ugly, and the misunderstanding of all the issues of their courtship, he's so understanding. And this man doesn't have commitment phobia. Matthew 1.18, it says that Joseph was pledged or he was betrothed to Mary. Now, in the Jewish culture, this was a covenant that was made about a year before the consummation of their marriage. It was very binding, and it would have had to have been broken by a literal decree of divorce, even though they weren't technically married, but the betrothal was just about as strong. It wasn't like our engagement where, you know, over text or email, you break it off and throw a ring at them or something. Uh, this, was, this was just about as binding as marriage. But, but I want you to see, he's a good man. And he begins to move with his, with his little bride-to-be from the casual phase to the commitment phase. 
And he begins to take her. You've got to imagine that he's taken her into this, into the hard work of, of deepening the relationship, being open to significant conversations that begin to include self-disclosure that are going to build trust and intimacy that takes them from this engagement betrothal time to their actual marriage day. Imagine the relational courage that it took on Joseph's part, really, and Mary's, when they come together. And can you imagine her coming up to Joseph and say, Joe, baby, how you doing today? Oh, sweetie, it's just it's so good to see you. How much more, how much more time we got? And she goes, Joe, I, man, I, I, got, I, I, I got some bad news. I got some good news. What do you want first? Well, like most thinking people, give me the bad. We'll get through that and get right to the good. I'm pregnant. Okay. So tell me what good news there could be. It's from God. That's probably not going to fly very well. But what we see here is this righteous character and the way that Joseph prepared for marriage, going into marriage, and how he treated his bride. See, there's a little phrase that's so easy to overlook, but it's central to the narrative. In verse 18, it says, before they came together, you know what? There was no sexual involvement. Joseph made this determination that he said, I'm going to wait I am going to wait and voluntarily I'm going to honor God. I'm going to honor my bride-to-be and I'm going to honor my wife. And we're not going to be engaged physically until we're married because of my spiritual commitments to God. I love that. Now remember I said there's a bigger picture going on here. Not only does that because of his spiritual commitment and his personal character, but he also does it because it was prophesied, not that he understands it at this time, but because of that, remember what I said, why does God pick this man? I believe one of the possibilities is right here, because of this kind of commitment to purity, because it was prophesied hundreds of years earlier that Jesus was gonna come and be conceived in a virgin girl. He's a really good husband. He's a good man. Guys, how about you? How are you living out this commitment as a husband? I mean, are you just really a one-woman man and committed to your bride and wanting the best for her? Does she know that? Because you see another part here about Joseph that he's got God's heart. This one to me is just an absolute mind blower to see the godly character that is residing within the core of who Joseph is. And I don't think it's by accident. Mary comes and breaks his heart with these nightmare words. From his dreamboat girl, these nightmare words come. I am pregnant. And like his heavenly father, Joseph is a man who is steeped in deep morality and significant mercy. Do you know how hard those two things are for most people to live out together? Mercy and morals. 
Because when you deal with most people who are moral, they kind of have a look at me. They have a tendency to have everyone look up to them and their goodness and look down on everybody else when they mess up or they make a mistake. Sometimes moral people can be really hard to be around. Uh, But on the other hand, then you got the mercy people where they don't stand for anything. Oh yeah, it doesn't matter what you do. God loves you. Oh, absolutely he does, but he loves you too much to let you do whatever you want to do and to leave you there. But for whatever reason we see in the choosing of Joseph, and I think it's because God, he saw this and he knew that he had to have a man that had high morals, that he was going to take care of himself. He was going to be a man of purity with his bride, but then he was also going to have this incredible dose of mercy to be able to dole out to her at the right time. Because imagine, here's this man after establishing this exclusive relationship, stepping into the betrothal period, determined that they were going to be honorable in their physical relationship, all of a sudden he realizes she's got a different definition of relational exclusivity. (laughs) She's got a different understanding. It's a little bit broader than what his is. Imagine the monumental, the exponential disappointment when she crosses all kinds of boundaries, he thought that they were going to be mutually committed. And then he hears she's been impregnated by another man. Guys, you don't have to think too hard on this one, but like any other red-blooded man, this had to feel like the highest form of relational treason. It had to be the deepest kind of betrayal that anybody could face. Yet, after absorbing this shock, he decides not to return hurt for hurt. He is not going to give pain for the pain that has come. See, he knows there's two ways that he can deal with this. Legally, with propriety. First way, he can publicly disgrace her. Make her stand up and say, she has done this to me. He can humiliate her. He can soil her soul and ruin her reputation where she is known as the one that this happened to and make it a public offense and public humiliation. And he could legally, rightfully do that. Maybe have her stoned. Second option that he could do is have a private ceremony with him and her and two witnesses and give the decree of divorce. He's a good man. He's kind of like his heavenly father. And he says, I'm going to deal with this. I'm going to do some mercy, gracious damage control. And that's the decision he makes as a righteous man. When it comes time to end the relationship that he believes he needs to do out of the integrity and the morality of his own personage, he says, I'm not going to slam dunk my little girl. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to expose her to all of the elements and meanness and hated hates of people around. I'm going I'm to take care of her. Because his strong, strong moral leanings were wedded to the mercy leanings of his heavenly father. So now somehow, some way, he has to begin to process this pain. Hey, guys, everybody, 
What do you do to process some of those pains of life? And I'm not talking now just about immorality. I'm just talking about any, there's a betrayal where you have been significantly hurt. What do you do to process that pain? See, it's so easy for a lot of us to kind of get a backpack and we begin to just throw stuff in it. This pain, that hurt. And we never go through the hard work and the heart work of processing it, but we just carry it around. And here's the sadness of that because sooner or later that backpack just gets a little bit heavier, heavier. And pretty soon all of that stuff just kind of begins to bleed out. I don't know how Joseph did it. I think one of the key things is that he, he was just continually, we'll talk about this, hearing the voice of God. And he really understood that God was sovereign and working in and through his life. And when you begin to understand that, you can begin to go, I can forgive and I can release because God's got a bigger plan for me. But it's possible, and guys, I want to challenge you because sometimes we can just take in Barry and stifle and everything, but I want to challenge you. Make sure you're taking care of any of those points of deep betrayal, deep hurt. Because even though we're guys, we still feel it. And sooner or later, it can come out in anger and other expressions and other habits and messes in our life. Make sure that you are dealing with it vertically with the lover and savior of your soul, as well as horizontally. Get with some other men that you can be open, you can be honest, you can be vulnerable with. Because that's God's heart for you. You know, Joseph was a man who was tuned to God's voice and his word. This is what's so cool about Joseph. He's, he's a man. Listen, he's, he, he, he's not the billboard. He's not the big shining guy. He's not the star. The spotlight's not on him. He's just a man. He's an average Joe. But he had this incredible capacity to obey the supernatural instructions of the living God. Uh, but he also knows how to think and make decisions on his own. Because there came a point where it says that he thought about it and he said, I'm going to end this relationship. Uh, Verses 20 and 21 says, while he thought about these things. See, it wasn't just like a knee-jerk reaction, I'm done. He was thinking it through. And it says an angel of the Lord came to him and told him, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. What has been conceived of her is of the Holy Spirit and she will give birth to a son. And when she does, I want you to call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. See, that's why the season's all about you and people out there. He didn't come so that we'd have these pageantries and celebrations about his coming. He had these, he he came so that we would celebrate Luke 15, people coming to him entering the kingdom with him. 
But Joseph receives two very straightforward directives from the voice of God, and they go against every male instinct that we have. The first one was this, don't break the engagement. I know she's pregnant, but move forward and marry her. Imagine him having to think about and process and work through the pain and the hurt. He's probably wondering, is this God through this dream? (sighs) Maybe it's just pizza from last night. But he's probably thoughtful again in thinking. The second thing, he says, you've got this miracle son. And let me give you the name to name him. I want you to call him Jesus because it's got purpose. Because he's a savior and he's going to give hope. And he's going to be a savior to the world. I don't know about you, but um, baby naming in families is usually a pretty big deal. Was that true for you? I mean, you, you know, I was, you know, my... I, I did a dumb thing, and uh, my dad had my grandfather's uh, first name as his middle name. I had my dad's first name as my middle name, and I kind of broke that. I kind of wish I wouldn't have now, but it's too late. But Trina, we adopted boys. They had names on their birth, not on their birth certificates, but they'd been given names. And we just said, we're not going with those. We want our names. We want to give them their names. And so we went to the Bible, and we come up with about 40 names and whittled it down to about five. And then we arm wrestled and, you know, fought over who's going to win the name game. And uh, we named them. It was important to us to name our boys their names. It's a big deal. And now we've got two grandsons, and before those two grandsons come, you got to know, I, Trina was telling me, oh, I think they ought to name him this, oh, I think they ought to name him this, and then she would drop them hints. Well, they didn't name them any of her hints. But uh, she kind of felt like, as the grandmother, I should be able to, you know, have some input. No, Terry was not any of those options. <laughs> but that's kind of a big deal. But you know what he did? It's decision time. The directives are clear. They've been given. And this average Joe, he's got to decide, is he going to say yes to the directives and to the instructions from heavens, or is he going to go with his own thinking and decide to do his own thing? And now I'm not going to marry her. Nah, I'd rather name him Joseph II or Junior. See, in nightmare times, when the roof was caving in on you as a godly man, you got to learn to hang on and to trust God, to process the pain, to work through it and to walk through it. Yeah, feel it. Don't deny it, but you got to deal with it. And good men, really good men, righteous men live with an open ear to hear from heaven all the time. They listen when God speaks, even when God asks a really difficult thing, something that will completely and totally, unequivocally stretch your faith to the total max. Godly men, righteous men, good men, they walk and they say yes to God. Joseph did both. He married Mary, and then he named their son Jesus. And see, full obedience was really based not on his personal feelings, but hearing God's voice and then determining that he's going to live out what God says. How do we best train our ear? Well, to, to hear through 
God's word, being in it, living with it, responding to it. When something says, yes, do this, don't do that. When God begins to just speak into us, we say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. And I think this is so critical, and this is what helped Joseph to move through the nightmares of his life. Okay, Lord, it's not the way I would do it, but I'm going to do it your way. Actually, you know, when I think about it, Joseph is probably more well-known than a lot of things. How many of you have a nativity scene? Probably every nativity scene that's in your home has a Joseph. He does the right thing. I think there's something important here. I just want to kind of almost parenthetically add. It says, while he thought about these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. Joseph is another. We talked about his morals and his mercy, but here's another delightful and delicate blend that can be hard to live out. Did you catch it? His thinking? He was a logical thinker, but he was also a mystical dreamer. You don't think that's hard to live out because most of us, again, lean into that. You ever been around someone that's just a mystical dreamer and it's all out there and it's kind of fluffy? And then there's the logical person that has no sense of, of you know, it's just everything. It's a Spock, you know? It's, it's this is right, this is wrong. But he had this powerful blend of living in the mysteries of God while being logical to think. Here's the thing. Because a lot of people, we begin to think that if we, if, 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 if we don't think or mail our brains off in a brown paper bag that we're not spiritual. And you don't even see that anywhere in the scripture because God is always talking about us renewing our minds, about thinking on the things that are in heaven. And yet, not being so logical, not thinking in our own ways so much that we can't receive the word from heaven, the word from the word to be able to move in it and to live out of it. Next week, probably, Aaron may mention, note this. What does it say about Mary? It says Mary was pondering these things. Mary was thinking and treasuring up the very same things that she was learning out of the narrative, even as Joseph was. Don't think, loved ones, that you, especially guys, don't think that you can't think and be logical without being mystical. Same for you, ladies. Same for you, students. Because God will speak to you if you listen. I have a friend and, uh, from Bible college, and uh, two friends were involved in this. And this one, he, was, he, was, he had just had a brilliant mind, and he could think. But he also had this very mystical part of him that, that kind of sometimes trumped his ability to think. Because he, you know, he thought of all these spiritual great things. But he was also so mystical, he was impractical. And one time he was loading a truck with some boxes. And as he's loading this truck, he's doing it by himself and he's getting them all in there. There's one box left and he can't quite fit it in there. And so his friend, our friend, mutual friend, Steve comes and he's watching him and he's getting all frustrated trying to get it in there. And Steve's watching him. Steve is a very practical guy. So Tim, he's there and he finally looks at him. and He goes, I can't figure this out. I'm just going to, let's pray. And so Steve walks by him and walks over there. He flips the box around, moves one box, sticks it in there. See, sometimes 
we just have to, we have to be logical. But while we're being logical, especially men, we've got to set ourselves to tune our ear to heaven and to receive God's word and God's voice from heaven. And that's what Joseph teaches us. The importance of hearing and trusting God with his life and direction. Think things through. But as you're going along, saying, Lord, I'm still open, I want to hear. And Joseph was an engaged father too. He's committed, he was fully engaged in raising Jesus and his other children. We all understand he was present at the, present at the delivery in the stable and probably acted somewhat as a midwife. A week later, what was he doing? He was in the temple with Mary doing what? Putting Jesus through a dedication ceremony. It's, it's kind of easy for some men to be around for the birth. It can be really easy too for dads to be there for the sports activities and transportation and all of those things. But when it comes to those spiritual activities, really mentoring them in the faith, maybe being in Sunday school with them, maybe teaching a Sunday school, uh, most men are going to say, nah, it's really not for me. I'm going to let my wifey take care of that. She's better equipped. She's more mystical. I'm more logical. I'm stronger. She's you know, she just gets that Jesus thing much better than I do. Can I challenge that thinking, guys? Nothing that moves me more than to hear stories and watch some of our dads, some of our young dads are just engaging their kids in Jesus. They're not saying it's up to mama. And that Joseph, man, he's engaged. Sometime later, after those things happen, another family nightmare comes. And this maniacal egomaniac of a king, King Herod, he started slaughtering all the young boys in Judea under the age of uh, two, two years and under because he wanted, to put a, he wanted to do a death blow. He wanted to destroy the potential threat of another king that could take over his kingdom, even though he was a newborn, less than two years old or less. So what does Joseph do? He gets up in the middle of the night and he makes this plan to make a midnight getaway to transport Mary and toddler Jesus to Egypt so that he can protect them. He can provide for them until it's safe to come back home. See, he's engaged. We read in Luke chapter two when Jesus was 12 years old. Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to observe, to observe the Passover. Joseph is involved in the spiritual formation of his son. He's not delegating it out. He's telling his wife, he's saying, this is something that we do together. It becomes clear that Joseph, he's not detached, he's not a distant, he's not a passive father to Jesus. His head's fully in the parenting and the fathering game. Later in Luke chapter two, this is the scripture that it says about Jesus. And this was the last scripture that we know about Jesus. 
when he's 12 and don't hear anything until he moves toward ministry. It says Jesus grew up in wisdom and stature and he grew up and he had favor with God and with man. Do you think it's an accident or was some kind of just divine whim that Joseph was chosen by God for this important parenting role, the most important ever assigned to a man? I mean, do you think it was just heavenly roulette or the heavenly lottery that took place? I don't think so. Or was he searching for a man that he could tap on the shoulder and say, man, I've got a job for you. It's bigger than you, but you're the man that can do it. Second Chronicles 16.9 says this, that the eyes of the Lord move throughout the earth, seeking those who were fully committed to him. And I think that when he come across Joseph, he said, that's my man. After the temple incident of Jesus when he was 12 in Luke chapter 2, we, don't, we never hear of Joseph again. We never hear of what took place, but we understand that there was probably a very solid figure in his life for 12 years. Now, I kind of kid about it, but Joseph may seem like the most vanilla of the Christmas narrative, but he's a big-time player. Who would have thought that this young carpenter would be a major player on the divine stage of history, raising Jesus? But here's what I don't want you to miss. Something bigger was at place. There's a bigger story being scripted as the scriptures are saying, being fulfilled. And God is writing this story. He's writing Jesus' story. And he's saying there's things you can't see. There's things you don't know. But looking back, they'll begin to make sense. Joseph didn't fully understand the process going through it. But notice the key word. It's used five times. It is threaded throughout the fabric of this narrative. Five times this is the statement. And so it was fulfilled what the prophets had spoken. The prophets, Isaiah, Micah, and Hosea, all spoke of these prophetic words concerning Jesus, and they would be fulfilled in Jesus and the Messiah years later. I I wonder if maybe God, on this Sunday and this weekend, isn't in search of some really good men, some women, some students to tap on the shoulder and say, you know what, I want, I want to use you to bring Jesus into your sphere of the world. Because there's people out there that he wants to save. And I've already kind of made plans and I'm writing the script for you. Tap, tap. It's so easy to miss and to under-evaluate ourselves, loved ones, and to depreciate the valuation that God puts on your life, our lives, to bring Jesus into our world. This past Friday, some of the guys went to help out at a city ministry that the city's doing, but we were kind of dialed into the um, a ministry that was started by uh, Eve Cameron called uh, passion for the streets. 
where there's her and I think three or four other Creekside ladies, they go every Friday morning and they make uh, burritos to take down to the homeless uh, into this area where uh, there's a clothes exchange, there's showers from uh, uh, Bay Church, um, and there's other groups of people working together to just help the homeless every Friday. I remember when Eve came to me a couple years ago now. She said, I don't know what to do. I just want to do this. I just feel it's on my heart. And I was thinking about that as, I, as we were part of this, this last week. And, and you're looking and you're seeing and how far it's come. And, and I came back and someone had given me a newspaper, that, uh, the, the Gazette. And there was a picture in there of her and a couple of her team, Creekside people. And uh, I think they'd given like $25,000 gift cards to the schools to help them. And I thought, whew, who would have thought of that two and a half, two years ago? You know what it was? It was just God tapping her on the shoulder. I got something for you, girl. And, and then it was her saying, okay, Lauren, I, I, I sense that, that, that's kind of mystical. I don't know how, but I'm going to do it. But then we moved to the thinking and now we've got this ministry that I'd invite any Creeksiders to come and be a part of. And if you want to know about it, please email me or let me know and I'll get you engaged. That's kind of how it happens. And I, and I have no doubt that there's people in this room right now that God's saying, tap, tap. And when I talk like this, you're thinking, well, I couldn't do something big like passion for the streets. Oh, maybe not. Maybe. What was Joseph? There's no spotlight on him. You barely see him in the pageants or notice him. But wow, he pulled off a pretty big thing. And it's the same thing for us. It isn't about the spotlight. It's about being open. It's about being available. It's about saying, Jesus, you bet. Close with this. Joseph, he was a just man. He was a good man. We'd say a good guy. When I look around here, can I just say this to you? You are good men. You are good women. You are good students. Oh, whoa, whoa, pastor, you're getting a little carried away here. You know what Romans 3 says? There's none who is good. No, not one who is righteous. You're absolutely right. But that's talking about people B.C., before Christ. See, when we come to Jesus, Romans 5 says that, therefore now, that you, 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 having been justified, just. You're just because you've been justified by faith. We now, we have peace with God. When you believe what Jesus did on the cross, that he died in your place for your sins, and you understand you're forgiven, and all you have to do is step into that relationship and begin to follow Jesus, you are just. You are justified. It's not about what you've done, it's about what he's done. The prophet Isaiah said this, that when you come to God, you are covered over with robes of righteousness. You are a just woman. You are a just man. But you have to embrace the just Jesus. That's you.
you're here, most of you are here. You know why? Because this is what I believe. You want to get it right. You want to walk justly before Christ. You want to do right by your family, men. You want to do right by your job, ladies. You want to do great in your neighborhood families. You don't want to hurt people. You want to bless people. You want to bring Jesus to them. You want to serve his purposes. That's why I believe every one of you that have crossed the line of faith, you're just. Because you've been justified by the justifier. Joseph was a thoughtful man. So are you, men. So are you, women. So are you, students. Otherwise, if you weren't, if you didn't want to think through this stuff, you probably wouldn't be here today to study the scriptures, to think on what God is to you, what he has for you. And you're here because you just want to, you want to hear, you want to give thought to the word. You want to learn to hear God's voice. You want to work to understand how he works in your dreams, in your nightmares. It doesn't say that Joseph read the word here. That's important. It doesn't say that he prayed. What it says is he was a thoughtful, average Joe who was a just man, and he listened to God. And when God spoke, he responded. He did what God asked him to do. Some of you are probably like, You know, here's the deal. I believe in counseling. I believe in people being in in relationship and community to help. But sometimes you don't understand that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. Sometimes we're looking for answers in so many places and we forget that it starts with him. And, 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 and maybe you're here and you've had some dreams that have just been obliterated. You got brokenness in your life. But you're a thoughtful person like Joe and you're thinking about this and wondering about that and God, speak to me. And the Lord says, trust me, I am bigger than whatever it is you're facing right now because I am God with you. And you need to see there's something bigger. There's a bigger story being scripted from your life. And whatever it is that I am speaking to you or about you, I want you to know this. It will be full. It will be fulfilled in my time. Look to me. Trust in me. Hear me, loved ones, and some of you need to hear this. God is producing and writing your script. And it's not done. Pursue him this season.